Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 26. Good Night, Mummy Dearest. King Mark of Cornwall had been humiliated by King Arthur's Knights. He'd run away from Arthur's Fool, dressed as a knight, under the impression that it was Sir Lancelot. When he'd got what he considered to be far enough away, he slowed his horse to a trot and breathed more easily. He was soon caught up by Sir Dinadan, who was trying to keep a straight face. Before long, Sir Dinadan's attention was caught by the sound of a moaning voice. King Mark heard it too, and they listened more intently. "'Oh, fair lady, I love you,' came the plaintive cry, "'and let you never show me any favour or kindness. "'I'm a fool to love you, but I still do. "'But the best knight in the world loves you too, "'and he is Sir Tristram of Lyons, "'and your husband is the falsest and most treacherous knight, "'King Mark of Cornwall.' Alas, the most wonderful of all ladies is married to the most villainous knight in the world. It was poor Sir Palamedes. He had never got over his feelings for La Bellissude, and often he moaned about the misery these feelings brought him. Sir Dinadan sniggered. He really was having a fun day. First he'd scared King Mark, and now he'd overheard another knight crying. Life, thought Sir Dinadan, was highly amusing. King Mark, of course, was not so amused. He rode off scowling until he met a knight riding past. He challenged the knight to a sword fight, and in his anger went too far. He struck the knight such a blow the knight would not recover. Seeing what he'd done, and feeling more ashamed than ever, King Mark rode away quickly. The knight just happened to be Sir Ament, the knight of Cornwall that King Mark had brought to England with him. Sir Ament had escaped with his life when he had refused to help Mark kill Tristram, unlike poor Sir Bursul's. He hadn't escaped with his life this time, though. Blood oozed out of him as he drew his last breaths. As he was breathing his last, a couple of young women spotted him and tried to help. They were messengers from La Belle Sud, and Sir Ament recognised them. Just before he finally expired, he spoke. I am killed because I wouldn't help the villain Mark to kill the noble Sir Tristram. Sir Bursules also died for the same reason. With that, Sir Ament died. The ladies sent by Isoud went straight to Camelot and told King Arthur, Sir Lancelot and Sir Tristram what had happened. All three were furious, and King Arthur sent Lancelot to look for King Mark. He found him a few miles away and told him to halt. "'Fair sir,' answered Mark, "'who are you?' "'I am Sir Lancelot of the Lake. Defend yourself, it is time to do battle.' King Mark had already fled like a terrified chicken from a knight he thought was Sir Lancelot. Now the real thing was standing in front of him, Mark realised two things. That he had been tricked earlier in the day, and that he was now in grave danger of death. He dropped to his knees and begged for his life. Then he dropped even lower and snivelled on the ground, pleading for all the mercy Lancelot could muster. Lancelot, barely able to conceal his contempt, motioned for King Mark to stand up. "'Get up, pathetic wretch!' I'd love to give you one hefty strike for the sake of Tristram and Isoud, but I'm not going to. I have been ordered to bring you to King Arthur, and that is what I will do. When Mark arrived at the court of King Arthur, he did the same thing as he had done when he encountered Lancelot. He threw himself on the floor and begged for mercy. King Arthur told him he must pay homage to him as his overlord, and he must make amends for the wrongs that he had done. Arthur told him he'd decide what he wanted Mark to do in a couple of days. Meanwhile, Mark was welcome at court. Mark, thinking that he'd got off pretty lightly, agreed. Back in the forest, Sir Palamedes was lamenting the way his life had gone. 
There was no way he was going to have La Belle Isoude, and he'd not turned up to fight Sir Tristram when they had agreed. He had told Sir Dinadan, who was listening to him waffle on quite patiently, that it was not his fault. He had been riding to the meeting place when he'd been captured and taken prisoner by a lord of a nearby castle. Sir Dinadan told him not to worry about it, as Lancelot had turned up instead, and there had been the best sword fight ever. No one had even noticed that Sir Palamedes had not kept his appointment. Palamedes didn't know whether this made him feel better or not. He decided not. The two knights rode on together. As we know, Sir Dinadan was good company, and Sir Palamedes started to cheer up a bit. Before too long they came to a castle. Sir Dinadan spoke. Sir Palamedes, in that castle resides the most evil woman in the kingdom. King Arthur's sister, Morgan le Fay, has tried many times to get rid of the king. She has not succeeded, but we must be ever vigilant. Even here in this castle there is an evil custom. No knight may pass unless he jousts with knights from the castle, and he will never know how many he has to fight. It could be one, two, three, or even more. They were about to arm themselves when another knight rose up carrying a mighty red shield. He elbowed Sir Dinadan and Sir Palamedes out of the way. I've come here to do this deed. Step aside and let me pass. Sir Dinadan was perfectly happy for another knight to do his fighting for him, and he grinned and let the knight pass with a flourish. Sir Palamedes was less keen, but he allowed the knight through. The two knights looked on in awe as the red knight defeated three knights with ease. He just seemed to grow in strength and skill as the battle went on, and the fourth knight was not just beaten. The knight with the red shield hit him so hard that he broke his neck. Wow, said Sir Palamedes. Indeed, agreed Dinadan. I think he's the best jouster I have seen, besides Sir Lancelot and Sir Tristram. He may even be as good as them. A fifth knight approached the knight with the red shield. He had his sword and his body cut in two by a single sword stroke. Palamedes offered to help if any more knights came out, but the knight waved him away. No thanks, I'm focused and I have an appetite for fighting today. Seven more knights were defeated. By the time he had finished, the knight with the red sword had killed four knights and forced eight to yield. He made them swear on the cross they would cease the evil customs of this castle. The knight with the red shield rode off. Sir Palamedes, who seemed to be entering his depression again, followed. Whether or not he wanted to commit suicide by joust is not recorded. Whatever the reason, he caught up with the knight and demanded a joust. He fought hard and well, but he was no match for the knight. In the end he gave up and told his opponent that he couldn't carry on. He told the knight who he was, and asked to be told the name of the man who had so soundly beaten him. "'I am Sir Lamorak of Wales,' came the reply. "'I am a son of King Pellinore and the half-brother of the gentle Sir Tor.' You are a brave and fine knight. From this day forth you will be my friend, and I yours. I will do you service whenever I can. Lamorak agreed. Sir Dinadan, who liked this friendship stuff a lot more than being wounded in fights, joined in. The three knights promised to be true to each other as long as they lived. Little did they know their friendship would prove fatal. All three would eventually be killed by members of the same family. For now, though, they were content and rode away in peace. Even Sir Palamedes felt that maybe life wasn't too bad. Dinadan left the other two talking and rode back to Camelot. There he met up with his best friend Sir Tristram, and also with King Arthur and Lancelot. He told them of the bravery, power and skill of the knight with the red shield. 
Tristram informed them that he knew who the knight was. It was Sir Lamorak of Wales. Sir Arthur said he hoped Sir Lamorak would be at court soon, so he could congratulate him on his deeds. He didn't have long to wait. The next day a tournament was held. In the morning the Orkney brothers all performed brilliantly, and it looked like they may take the prize. At lunchtime, though, a knight arrived carrying a red shield. He took to the field and defeated everyone who was matched against him. At the end of the day came the turns of the sons of Morgors. First Sir Mordred was defeated, and then Sir Gaheris. Sir Agravain lasted a bit longer, but he was knocked to the ground. Sir Gareth stepped forward, but his eldest brother asked him to step aside. Sir Gawain and Sir Lamorak fought a bitter and dreadful fight, neither giving the other any rest. In the end, though, Sir Lamorak smashed Gawain off his horse and left him in a bruised heap on the ground. Sir Lamorak of Wales, the knight with the red sword, won the prize. Everyone clapped and cheered, Arthur, Lancelot and Tristram applauding as loudly as anyone. Everyone was delighted, marvelling at the skill of this fine knight. Everyone congratulated him. Well, not everyone. Sir Lancelot happened to glance over and saw a sight which unnerved him slightly. In the corner of the field, five men were in a huddle talking quietly. The Orkney brothers were deep in conspiratorial conversation. Lancelot felt uneasy. He would have felt a lot worse if he'd known exactly what they were saying. Sir Gawain whispered, Fair brothers, that man King Arthur loves is the man we most hate. His father, King Pellinore, slew our brave father. Now Sir Lamorak says that he loves our mother. He's brought shame on us and our family, and I will be revenged. Gawain, replied his younger brothers, let us know how and when we will be revenged, and we will be ready. Gawain nodded. I will tell you when the time is right. The next day, King Arthur summoned King Mark into his presence. There he laid down what Mark had to do in order to prevent himself from being killed or losing his kingdom. King Mark, I ask you for a gift. Of course, sir, replied King Mark. Tell me what you require of me. Sir Tristram of Lyons is a great knight and has done you excellent service. He wishes to return to Cornwall. You will welcome him in friendship and you will see that no harm comes to him. If you swear on the good book you will do as I ask, then I will forgive you for the many foul deeds you have committed. King Mark bowed low. Sir, I swear that I will be a friend to Sir Tristram, and never again will I wish him harm. I will do this for his sake, and for yours. He swore on the Bible that he would do as he said. King Mark, though, was an even bigger villain than King Arthur realised. He still wished bad things on Sir Tristram. He would just have to be clever about how he went about them. Tristram, delighted that he would soon see La Bellissude, prepared himself for the journey. His friends watched him get ready. Sir Dinadan spoke sadly to Sir Lancelot and Sir Lamorak. Alas, my lord Sir Tristram is leaving. I can't help but think he will come to harm. Lancelot went to see his king. I'm afraid you're losing one of your very best men. What have you done? It was his own wish to go to Cornwall, said King Arthur wisely. I don't want him to go, but I can't keep him here against his will. I've done everything I can to keep him safe. It's up to him and King Mark now. Lancelot nodded, but he wasn't convinced. As the party departed for Cornwall, he marched up to King Mark and spoke to him. Sir Tristram is going to Cornwall with you. If I hear of any treason against him, then I will come for you. If I hear he's had a nasty accident, then I will come for you. 
If I hear that he is any sort of trouble at all, I will come for you. I'll come for you, and as soon as I find you, you will not live another thirty seconds. I will slay you with my own bare hands. King Mark gulped and nodded, assuring Lancelot he would behave. With that, they rode away, watched sadly by the knights of the round table. Sir Tristram was sorely missed, but there was an addition to the order of the round table, which would shortly be shown to be very important. Eight days after the great knight had departed for Cornwall, a knight arrived with a young squire tagging along behind him. The knight disarmed himself and stood before King Arthur. Sir, my name is Sir Aglaval, and I am the elder brother of that famous knight, Sir Lamorak of Wales. This young squire is also his brother. He is the youngest of the sons of King Pellinore. I come to you today to ask that you make him a knight of the round table, for he will one day be one of the best and purest knights in the world. Sir Lamorak is a great knight, and I would welcome his brother into my court. Please, Sir Knight, tell me his name. He is called Percival of Wales. The morning after, Sir Percival of Wales became a knight of the round table. All of the other knights, even the Orkney brothers, recognised a special quality in the young man. He was quiet and reserved, but something about him made people take notice. Even Sir Gawain knew that he was destined to be great. Despite the fact that he was a son of King Pellinore and the brother of Sir Lamorak, Gawain couldn't find it in his heart to hate Sir Percival. In the evening, a dinner was held to celebrate the new knight's joining of the Order of the Round Table. At the dinner, a lady, who was a member of the Queen's Court, stood up. Arise, Sir Percival, the noble knight and God's knight, and come with me. There were a few empty seats at the round table. The lady took Percival by the hand and led him around the table, past a number of empty seats, towards the siege perilous. Some of the knights looked over in shock as he was led towards the seat in which no other knight had ever sat. When they got there, though, they did not stop and sit. The lady led Sir Percival to the seat on the right-hand side of the Siege Perilous. There she motioned for him to sit down. This siege is yours and yours alone. You will be second only to the knight who achieves the Siege Perilous when it is time to seek the Holy Grail. Percival sat down. He was following his destiny. His brother, though, was ensuring that his destiny was not going to be a good one. Queen Morgors of Orkney was staying in a nearby castle, and Sir Lamorak had arranged to meet her. It seems that she was as keen on the son of the person who had killed her husband as he was on her. During the night he crept into the castle. He sneaked up to her room and let himself in. The Orkney brothers were ready for him. They'd taken it in turns to watch over the castle, just in case Sir Lamorak decided to try anything. On the evening he chose to see the Queen of Orkney, Sir Gaheris was on watch. When he saw Sir Lamorak enter the castle, he waited a few minutes and then followed him in. The middle Orkney brother, sword drawn, opened the castle door without making a sound and then tiptoed up the stairs. Along the corridor, he crept until he was outside his mother's room. Silently, stealthily, he opened the door. He was prepared for what he was about to see, but it still shocked him. The shock was so great that for a minute or two, Sir Gaheris lost his head. There on the bed was his mother and the son of her husband's killer. Gaheris let out a venomous roar and ran towards the bed. There he grabbed his mother by the hair and struck off her head. Blood spurted from the neck, showering over Sir Lamorak and some previously fine white bedsheets. 
Lamorak leapt up. Sir Gaheris, Knight of the Round Table, what the hell have you done? This is more shameful than anything I have ever seen. Why have you slain your own mother? Gaheris mumbled something incoherent, and then recovered his senses. You are meddling with the wrong people. You've put my family and me to shame. Your father killed my father, and now you carry on with my mother. One day we will kill you, just as Gawain, Agravain and I killed King Pellinor. Well, you killed the wrong man, scoffed Lamorak. My father didn't kill King Lot, it was Balin the Savage. Geheris knew this wasn't true, as probably did Lamorak. I will kill you, but not now. You are naked and unarmed, and I will not dishonour myself further. But listen and listen well. Some day, in some other place, my brothers and I will slay you. At least my mother is free of you now. Now get your armour and get out. Flee from here, for when we find you next, you will not live to tell the tale. Lamorak did as advised. Geheris began to realise what he had done. The enormity and foulness of the deed started to dawn on him. He rode back to King Arthur's court, but the news of what he had done had beaten him there. Gawain was furious and heartbroken that his little brother had killed their mother, even if he regretted it. King Arthur told Sir Gaheris it was the most evil of deeds that he had done, and he could no longer be a knight of the round table. He was banished from court. It had been a bad few days for King Arthur. He had gained one pure and honourable knight, but he had lost a sister, and his court was not the peaceful, harmonious place it had once been. As they ate dinner that night, Sir Lancelot spoke to him solemnly. Sir, you have lost two good knights. Sir Tristram is gone, and Sir Gaheris is banished. Soon, I am sure, you will lose another. Sir Gawain and his brothers will slay Sir Lamorak one way or another. They've sworn to kill him, and one day they will. King Arthur nodded. It seemed that the Order of the Round Table had reached its greatest strength and was now on the decline. Mournfully, the king picked at his food. He hoped that he would be able to repair the damage. Next week, we will see the damage repaired just a little, even if it wasn't to last. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.